There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective once more on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and I'm joined as always by former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. We'll look back at England's T20 series defeat in the West Indies and discuss what has been learnt from the tour. We'll also look ahead to the West Indies white ball tour of India, which will be live once more here on TalkSport 2. And we'll be joined by England bowling all-rounder Anya Shrubsol to reflect on an incredible uh, women's Ashes test match. As well as that, we'll talk uh, to Gareth Batty and we'll look at some of the English players performing in domestic leagues all over the world. So, as always, plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, apart from you having a fabulous winter break in Barbados, Harmi, what was the best <laughs> takeaway from, uh, <laughs> from England's T20 series? I'm not sure. I would just the cricket was great. I thought the cricket was apart from the first game. I thought the cricket was very, very good. Both sides played very, very well. Positives. You reached Topley. I thought Reece Topley was excellent. Of the of the the ones that we are, we're on a fact finding mission. Because let's be fair, we England were on a fact finding mission. Probably seven seven players who start the the first game in the World T20 in Australia weren't there. So we were trying to find out who was up to it, who could handle the pressure. I spoke to Moen on the field many times before games, and he said, we're trying to put bowlers under pressure. We're trying to put our bowlers under pressure on because that's what we've struggled at, especially at the death. I don't think we got any answers on that one. I still think we, you know, the jury's still out on who bowls at the death if we haven't got our prize asset in Jofra. So... I think all in all, I thought it was a good series played in a great, great way. I thought both sides threw everything at each other. I thought the crowd was excellent. I thought England's death bowling wasn't wasn't what they wanted. I thought there were some players that just a, a little bit inconsistent, a little bit off. That would slight concern. One concern would be Liam Livingston. Didn't quite get the numbers he would like, but I've seen him a couple of times and he looked poorly. He really did. I think the the illness that he got prior to the first game, I think it took a lot out of him. So I think we have to give him, I think, a little leeway on that one. Um, but all in all, I just thought it was a, I thought it was a great advert for Test Match, FL T20 cricket. So just to put things into perspective, I was uh, looking through the squad and trying to work out who the bankers were. Who, who would you ink in to the 15-man squad to go to the T20 World Cup at the end of the year in October, November? I mean, there's Jason Roy, Moeen, Adil Rashid, um, and Owen Morgan, and I'm going to ask you about Owen Morgan in just a minute because there's been um, speculation about about his immediate future. But I mean, it, it, apart from those four, are, are there any are there any bankers in the 15 at this stage? I think Liam Livingston's a banker. I think we have to put into context how 
the, what the illness took out of Liam. I thought he bowled better than he than he batted. I think we put Sam Billings into there because of he, he covers a lot of bases as backup. I'm intrigued to see what what Phil Salt could do. He might up until the last game, I thought England might have if Owen Morgan was fit. Owen, they might have not played James Vince, played Phil Salt at going with Jason Roy with Banton at three, Morgan at four, and everybody moved down one. But Vince Vince batted nicely in that last game, just didn't get to the match winning score. Um, but I think from that, I think Reese Topley might have just got himself the the spare bowler spot or the different option spot. If you think England could go with Afra Archer, Mark Wood, I think Chris Jordan's just put himself in a maybe spot rather than being nailed on. So from that point of view, I think Reese Topley gives you that left arm option that England want. And boy, did he do well. Swung it nicely, nice bounce in Australia. I think he'd be, if we can keep him fit for that long, he'd be a good prize asset to have up our sleeve if Owen Morgan wants some variation. But apart from that, I think the rest that did get a go didn't really pull any trees up. Funny how uh, how quickly you can fall off the big stage, isn't it? I mean, 18 months ago, England's future was named current. Um, yeah. and, and Sam and Tom have, uh, have just toppled off the stage now. So word about them, but also um, Shield Berry and um, uh, and Rob Johnston in the Telegraph and Crickbuzz respectively have uh, both questioned Owen Morgan's uh, immediate future. Um, I mean, it, there seems to be no doubt that he'll still captain the squad in the T20 World Cup at the end of the year. You said last week that uh, you don't care if he's averaging 15. <laughs> his influence and his captaincy and everything else is worth it. We've also mentioned about the fact that he has said if he's no longer the right man for the starting eleven, he would uh, have no doubt about dropping himself. Obviously, he, he was injured and Moeen took over. We'll hear from Moeen in a moment. But your thoughts, you were adamant last week that Owen Morgan is still the right man for the job. I still am. I still am adamant. I, I just don't I don't see why you'd want to change that. I think when you've got a full squad to choose from, which Owen, let's be fair, a lot of criticism's gone towards Owen and the White Bull team that have had their their best squad for the last two, three years across the white ball format. But he's delivered. He has delivered. And I don't see any reason to change him. I, I, I still think he, he he warrants a place in the side. He's still, still good enough to bat comfortably in that top six. And he, he, uh, you watch him move around in the field. Even though he got injured, you watch him move around the field in that first game. That He's still agile enough to... They're not hiding him. He's not hiding himself. Still fielding a prominent position at extra cover or mid wicket. So while he's while he's like that, I thought it was a poor. I really did think it was poor, poor articles because there were the articles as he got injured, so he didn't have a right to reply. There was no right to reply for Owen Morgan in that series. It was as if right, this is a chance to get at my Owen Morgan. He's not going to play in the rest of the series, and it's going to be a while before he can he can you know, ram these words down our throat. I just didn't. I, I know, I, I'm not bothered about what people write. I mean, I, I'm really not. I never have been when I played, but I didn't like the articles at the time and as well because I thought, you, you know what, you've waited a long time to have a go at Owen Morgan. You have, and you've done it. You've done it when he's when he got himself injured. So that's not fair. But hey, that's the way. That's the way the world goes. Unfortunately, I think Owen Morgan should and will and has and warrants be an England captain in Australia in nine months' time. And I still think England will be strong for it. OK. The man who took over from him, Moen Ali, was exemplary with, uh, with in all four assets um, or aspects of captaincy. And, I mean, batting, bowling, tactically and ambassadorially, I thought he was brilliant. This was him reflecting on his uh, brief stint as England captain. I do it, obviously, in domestic cricket and stuff. And I love situations like today where... We defend well and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so it's I, I do really enjoy it. it. Keeps me in the game and stuff like that. So uh, you can. The only thing I find difficult is sometimes under bowling myself, but I really I do enjoy it. It's, it's an absolute honour and pleasure to, in particular, capture my cap, uh, country. That's Moen Ali. Um, he was he was terrific. Um, it was interesting, and there was another interview that you would have heard that I heard as well, um, in which he was asked uh, what his preferred position was. <laughs> there's been this clamour for years uh, for people saying 
could you just give Mo a spot, please? So he knows what he's expected of him. And he said, actually, I quite like the roving role. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he, he, he says that quite happily. And I actually think he's perfect for that roving role because that Roman role, because he doesn't, he doesn't get hung up on disappointment. If he makes an absolute hash of it, it doesn't affect his next facet, which would be the ball or potentially coming out to bat again two days later. And if he's, if you ask him to go and hit the first ball for six, he'll go and hit the first ball for six. And I think he's actually, he's probably the most natural at it. He's more natural than Liam Livingston. He's more natural than Ben Stokes. He's more natural than Josh Butler at doing that. The other guys seem to take two, two or three balls up to get themselves moving, get themselves going, assess the pitch condition. Moen walks out there and thinks, right, if I've got to go first ball, no matter who's bowling, I'm coming down the wicket and I'm going to try and belt it. If I get caught in the deep, well, well, that's my job. I've got I've got to try and get us off to the start. But it doesn't affect him in his next game. I thought he captained England brilliantly. Having 40 minutes on a flat one, Moen must be, his head must have been spinning off. I was watching him, I was thinking, he's got, he just, he just wants this. He just wants the game to go over as quickly as he could. Every time you took the bowling change, just kept bouncing balls off walls. It was just, it was relentless for him. I felt sorry for him that. But the next two games, because he had a bit of time to do it, I don't think that was a fact. And Owen Morgan would have been captain, and Rotherham Power would have got 100 off 50 balls. He batted brilliantly. But I think the next game, he could see in Moen's body language the way he was manoeuvring the field. His bowling changes in the last game, I thought, were were very very good. Um, England didn't bowl well at the death. The game was they get had the game in the palm of their hands after 15 overs. Um, but I think all in all, another positive, which I met, forgot to mention earlier, was the captaincy of of Moen Ali. I've just been reminded by our producer Scott Taylor that uh, that Moen's comments about the roving role were actually made to us on the following on podcast. Yeah, they were. Yeah, uh, and um, he was speaking to Andrew McKenna and Jade Dernbach. <laughs> And, and, of course, Scott has the clip to hand immediately. <laughs> you know, I actually really enjoy being a bit of a floater. So when Morgie, like in the World Cup, says to me, you know, go and put your pads on in between with the spinners and whatever's on, I really enjoy that because I feel like I'm quite important and um, I can make a contribution and I get that clear sort of role and then just go in and play. So I don't really have a number, uh, but I, I like getting in there when we need to go for it and stuff. And sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't, but... I enjoy playing the way I played tonight in particular. Uh, put bowlers under pressure and I just give myself a bit of a chance. But we do have a brilliant side and we have some excellent players who are missing. So it is quite difficult at times, but I don't mind being a bit of a floater, to be honest with you. That's just a reminder that Moen Ali is perfectly happy in the roving role. Uh, he doesn't uh, necessarily want to be stuck at number four. He's happy to do whatever job. But first of all, Harmi, how big an achievement did you get the sense that, that was for the West Indies? I mean, there were, there were some that were, were saying, I'm obviously they had a disastrous T20 World Cup with the old brigade and there were some fresh faces coming in. Some people said they you know, struggled to win one game, but they, they won the series and very clearly it meant a lot to them. Yeah, it did. And Karen Powell did a great passionate interview after he started singing to Mark Butcher and I thought, oh, we've got the wrong <laughs> way around here. We've got Karen Pollard singing to Mark Butcher. But it was brilliant. It were, they, were, they were fantastic throughout the whole series. They were fantastic. They were poor against Ireland. And I think criticism was against them, and rightly so, because I thought they were below par. But this is a young, West, uh, inexperienced West Indian side. I don't think it's it's not young with age. One or two young guys, but the rest are in around 27, 28, 29. So age-wise, they've played a bit of cricket, but not, not in the international setting, because some of the greats of the game got a benefit tournament at, uh, in the UAE off the back of... Yeah, you know, poor, poor selection. I think if this group had been given time throughout the UAE, played obviously against England, England's at Australia. You know, we might have, we might have had another you know favourites in the in the ring, but I thought they, they were dynamic in the field. They were very, very good with the ball, um, and the power they had was is in that bottom, that lower to middle order, is uh, is brilliant. And I stayed in the team hotel and. I've seen them a lot of a lot of West Indian players just around the around the hotel, and they were always in good spirits. They were always acknowledging other people that were in the hotel, and they were very very respectful. Karen Pollard, 
he was very, very impressive in, in his leadership. There's a lot of question marks of Kieran Pollard and his record. I know Barry Wilkinson has a question mark on Kieran Pollard, his record for the West Indies, this great record for Mumbai Indians. But I said to him on air the other night on the last game, I said, you might have to forget what Kieran Pollard's done for the West Indies up to the point he became captain because that part of his sort of gun for hire in 2020 cricket is gone now. He plays for Mumbai Indians and he captains the West Indies. And I think now he's focusing on that. You'll see a different Kieran Pollard. I've not seen him bowl as much in a series and what I've seen him bowl this week. So I think you have to then, you know, park that bit and let's see what the leadership style of him is. And I think along with Phil Simmons, I think, you know, they've spent a lot of time with each other. I've seen that. And um, they made some difficult decisions, which worked for them. And I thought, I thought the leadership of, of the West Indies on, on this series was excellent. Well, the last time there was no public talk of rifts within the uh, the West Indian camp was when Clive Lloyd was captain in the late 70s and early 80s. And that's yeah, before even my time. Um, there is, of course, talk of, um, of, of rifts within the camp. Um, Kieran Pollard was asked about it. And um, understandably, and probably rightly, he was a bit prickly about it. As we said before, empty vessels make the most noise. Um, you know, the guys have worked tirelessly, you know, after coming from Jamaica. You know, our heads were down and, you know, we had conversations in the dressing room of how we want to play the cricket and I thought the guys bounced back, you know, pretty well. So, you know, for us, we have to focus on what we need to focus on and which is the cricket and I think the guys are putting their head down, the understanding what we want to do, what we want to achieve, you know, as a team and you saw the results tonight. Yes, it's one series but, you know, we have been on the losing end of a lot of series and a lot of games and you have to take this one so the guys need the opportunity to just free up themselves and enjoy themselves for a couple of days. That's Kieran Pollard dismissing any suggestions of a rift within the camp but you know for the millionth time let's remind listeners that um, this is a squad made up of, of cricketers from different countries. Yes they're in the same region but you know it'd be like picking a, a European team. It works in golf I know but um, you know they are very very different people and it's it's there are going to be differences, cultural differences and social differences. Um, but you know what? I, I mean, from afar, and you were close up, they really do seem to be pulling in the same direction. Yeah, 100%. And I think the, the, the one that, that, that the riff was about was Odin Smith. And I had a, a, an exchange on air with Ian Bishop for TV when Odin Smith bowled the 17th over. And, and Bish was like, why, are you do, why is he doing this? Why is he bringing him here? Is he trying? And I thought, you know what? I said, this is the right time for the fast bowler to bowl. I know he's 23 and he's very inexperienced, but this is the over that England need to go. If it goes, then you've got two experienced bowlers that can try and drag it back. If they win, it's a great experience for Odin Smith. And it was Odin Smith that was the, the rift was about. But when you looked at this series, it was, it was a no-brainer. They had to leave him out in the third game. He played the first game, he bowled one over for four, didn't bat. But the second game, he got one run, didn't bowl. He's a, he's, he's a bowling all-rounder. Didn't make any sense in playing the third game when you've got Ralph and Rothman Powell come in and got 100. So they were justified in doing that. And then the last game, you look at someone like Darren Bravo. Darren Bravo's played four games. He's batted twice. And one of them, he only batted, he only batted about six balls, not out for three, batted at number seven. So it was a no-brainer for for leaving him out. So these two guys, Pollard and, and Simmons, are making tough calls. Some people don't like it, but I think if they stick to, you know, true to themselves and block the, back out, the background noise out, we've got a fantastic squad of 14, 15 people who can go out at any given time and, and be very, very destructive for the West Indies. And the enthusiasm, the dynamic in the field and the energy they showed, I'm not sure there'll be quite a force in Australia just yet, but I think further down the line, they're building something nicely here in the West Indies. And yeah, there's always somebody, like you say, around the islands, says my my boy feels victimised or my boy is victimised because he, he plays for not one of the favourable islands. OK, final word on the series goes to uh, our co-commentator, Barry Wilkinson, who was discussing Jason Holder's role. I'm reliably informed I have no way of checking it, that Holder became the first man in T20 history to uh, be hit for four consecutive sixes and take four wickets in four balls. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. But Barry says he is still the best all-rounder in the Caribbean. 
This was a man that was made a reserve for the Cricket World Cup last year, only to get in the side because someone got injured. His performance the day before that they picked the team was 4 for 27 versus Pakistan, and they didn't think he was good enough to play in a World Cup for the Windies. Jason Holder is by far the best, the best right now for the West Indies in terms of his all-round ability in the region. And it's just hard to, to understand and fathom at times why this man is not given more of an opportunity when called upon. Look, five today for 27. He got three the other night. I think he has a, a good uh, person for a man of the series because... When you look at his performance, perhaps his batting didn't come on, but his bowling has been spot on. I said to you before, a ball was bowled, that this was the best 11 that the West Indies had, and I, I proved myself right, because I think if they stick to this team, they stick to this squad, Windy's cricket can rise again in T20s. That was Barry Wilkinson chatting to us from Barbados. And don't forget, you can hear two of the three ODIs and all three T20s live here on TalkSport 2. All right, as promised, we're going to speak to... Uh, I, don't, I don't know whether we can still call him colleague now that he's interim head coach of Surrey, but uh, long-time member of uh, the TalkSport uh, cricket team. Gareth Batty, uh, thanks very much for your time. You're in the indoor school, we can, as we can see. Congratulations, I suppose. Um, how are you feeling about it? Well, I'm not sure I'm feeling congratulations. You've just sacked me from the team. I'm gutted. <laughs> um, but um, obviously, uh, the new position here at Surrey is... Um, it's very good. Um, I'm very honoured. It's a smashing group of lads that uh, I've been around for a while and working with as sort of an assistant. And um, it's, it's very good. It would be wrong for me not to, to, to mention Vikram. He's, he's been doing some very good work here in difficult times with COVID. And uh, I feel like I'm probably coming into a role at uh, a slightly more convenient and better time. And you talk about you know, coming into the role. Two coaches that are coming in with you with a lot of experience in... First-class cricket, as a Mahmood and, and Jim Troughton, you cover all bases with that combination, Bath. I hope so. That's that's the plan. Um, as a you know all-rounder, uh, he covers all all bases, bat and ball, and at, at times a very different skill set. Obviously, played with him over a period of time here at, uh, at Surrey, and he's, he's one of us. He's a real brown hatter. Uh, make no mistake about that. But a skill set uh, he can add to our younger bowlers. We're fortunate in some ways that, uh, you know, young Sam and, and Tom Curran will be able to come out of this injury, hopefully in a better place, having worked a bit with uh, Azza and, and, and putting in performances uh, for Surrey. And uh, Jim Troughton, oh, he's, he's probably more qualified than I am to do the job, if we're brutally honest. Uh, he did it for a period up at, uh, at Warwickshire. Bags of experience from playing, but also loads of off-field now from, from the coaching side. Uh, it's a very exciting uh, team, as far as I'm concerned. Smashing blocks to marry up with what I feel is a... a a very good squad. It's only for me to get sacked if we don't perform. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned that a, good, a very very good squad. Knowing Gareth Batty as I do, still thinks he's eighteen year old. How is the transition going to be between Gareth Batty, the player? I know you've had a little bit of a transition into coaching, but how how is that going to go in the dressing room? Because you've now got to not only try and coach these players, but unfortunately, because of a great squad you've got, there's only eleven can play each time. Yeah, it's it's obviously what's an old job, isn't it? I, I certainly won't shirt the tough bits of the job, and that's telling people they're not playing. I hope that um, it will be very evident um, that there's a care factor that runs through. Obviously, from being captain for periods, um, you have to deliver bad news. I feel like the only way to do it is just be brutally honest. And then you pick up the pieces and show the care in actually getting some work done with the lads to show that um, you know you're on their you're on their side as much as you possibly can be. Um, to steal a phrase from um, Jurgen Klopp, I can't be their best friends, um, but I'd try and be that sort of father figure where, unfortunately, as a father, you have to do some tough love mm -hmm. at times and tell people off. And, but it's always with the greatest intention. So as long as I keep good intention, I feel like uh, we won't be too far wrong. But uh, I, I reiterate, it, it will be a, a learning curve, but um, I, I reiterate that I don't think it's that dissimilar to the captaincy from, from some respects that you are slightly detached from the team at times. Uh, so, um, you've described as interim head coach, which I suppose leaves um, room for, for someone else to, to be um, appointed. I, I don't know whether I'm misreading that, but what would you say to those people who wonder whether this opportunity has come a little bit early for you? Uh, proof will be in the pudding. I've always lived my life that um, any opportunity 
comes across your bow, go for it. Why wouldn't you? And give it a red hot go. I feel like I have some knowledge. I feel like I've got some learning to do. And I'm going into it fully with my eyes open. We learn from mistakes just like players do. I certainly won't uh, be trying to mask over if a mistake has been made. I'll be very honest about the whole process. I feel like I know the club intimately, um, which gives me a heads up. Was it something I was thinking about? Absolutely not. My whole uh, focus was supporting Vikram as much as possible and trying to facilitate um, our sort of academy and second team pushing and, and becoming more part of the pro staff. So certainly not on radar, but um, I've had a lot of conversation with Vikram and Stewie. Um, there's some more conversations to come with players. Um, and we shall see. But all those who, who think um, uh, it's a job that they want, if results aren't, aren't going so well, get a play. <laughs> yeah, who cares what other people think, Bats? When you look at the squad you've got, players are aware, players in the PSL, players coming back from injury. How are the current brothers going, first and foremost? And I think the most you know, question that the players are probably asking you when I was at Yorkshire, it was, coach, where are we going on pre-season? Because I can't imagine being anything other than somewhere nice, warm, sunny, and a beer taste sweet. Well, they're not going to like my first answer. It's going to be behind my shoulder. <laughs> we'll be in here and in a marquee, unfortunately. We do have plans afoot to try and break up the monotony because it's not pre-season like it once was, Harmy. You know, back in the day, it would have been lads away for four or five months. And then it's literally, it's boot camp when you get back here. You yes. ran into the ground, you bowled into the ground, you batted into the ground. The boys, are they're not quite up to speed now. We're not saying for a second we are. We have some work to do, but we're a, we're a much more ready group now than we ever would have been at this time of year. So we can afford ourselves maybe to zip off somewhere and do some kind of team exercise together. It might be football, it might be this, it might be that, whatever. So we, we can break it up. But um, yeah, no, it's exciting times. We're very lucky. We have lots of comes and, comings and goings of very fine players. Long may that continue because it means they're good and they're getting better and this ultimately we want to provide players to play for England. Um, so that's something we have to deal with. For every player that leaves and goes plays for England, there's a young player who should be chomping at the heels to take that place and make it difficult for me to have conversations to say, look, you're not playing because this guy's got 300s on the bounce or wickets or whatever. It's not meant to be an easy job, but um, we shall see where we get. Last one from me, Bats, if I may. Um, hypothetically... Let's say Amal Verdi's playing for the County Select Eleven against New Zealand and Daniel Moriarty's injured. Could we have the first instance ever of a head coach playing T20 Vitality Blast in uh, May or June? I mean, you are the fittest 43-year-old the world of cricket has ever seen. Or uh, have you thrown your boots away? I think we can safely say my cricketing days are done. My daughters couldn't couldn't even talk me into playing in the back garden. I guarantee that. No, for all the supporters out there, you're lucky. You can buy your tickets. You're not going to have to see this old face again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope to have you back uh, in some capacity on the TalkSport cricket team because I I, I never sacked you. You're an honorary member for life. (laughs) Be an absolute pleasure to be back with you whenever I'm allowed. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmonson. And don't forget, you can hear coverage of the West Indies White Ball Tour of India live on TalkSport 2 next week. So there's even more cricket to look forward to. Next up, we'll speak with England bowling all-rounder Anya Shrubsol to reflect on that incredible Ashes Test match. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and uh, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison, as always. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever else you get your podcasts. OK, time now, as promised at the top of the show, to hear from uh, England's bowling all-rounder, Anya Shrubsole. Harmy wasn't part of this conversation because he was still on the plane about to touch down from Barbados. Um, and Anya, of course, is in Canberra, so I spoke to her myself uh, a little earlier. Now, I'm delighted to say we're joined live from Canberra now, as promised at the top of the show, by Anya Shrubsole. And the first question I've got for you, Anya, is have you recovered emotionally, not physically, from that test match? Um, not quite, I don't think. Um, definitely still have moments where you kind of replay various things from from the last four days, in particular from that kind of from that last session. Um, it was an unbelievable test match to to be a part of. So gutted that we couldn't get over the line, but I think mostly just yeah, what a game to be a part of. It was incredible, top order batting. I mean, I know that uh, Heather Knight said afterwards, just went out there and batted. Um, and the top order batted so well that um, victory was in your grasp. And, and Heather said afterwards, they got to a point where you could have won it, just knocking the ball around. But then you can't control adrenaline, can you? No, I think, like you said, the way that, that everyone batted, particularly that kind of um, top five really was was unbelievable. They they put us in with the chance of winning a game on a on a... That was that was obviously offering a bit of turn and stuff like that to bat the way that they did to kind of to set it up was amazing and absolutely gutted that we couldn't get across the line. I guess a lot of credit has got to go to Australia and the way that um, they bowled and fought back as well. And two days later, some gutted people around. But I guess there comes a point where you've got to find a way to let that go because we've got some ODIs to play. Okay, I'm not quite going to let it go yet because I need <laughs> to ask you. You came in at 233 for six. What were you thinking? Because it was still on, wasn't it? I mean, you know, the wind was still very much on. It needed 20-odd. Yeah, absolutely. We're still very much going for the win. Then we we kind of back ourselves. We saw how Sophie Eccleston batted in the first innings at, at number 10. We've got batting all the way down. So the win was very, very much still on then. Um, yeah, absolutely. Still felt like it was there to win, but not to be. And how were you in the last couple of overs when Kate Cross was uh, batting it out? Uh, I didn't leave the. I obviously, when I got out, went back into the dressing room and couldn't quite bring myself to had it on in the TV in there. And I back all of, like I said before, to steal from Kate Cross to play out those last two overs. Are you sick and tired of hearing about how women should play more Test matches and that they should be over five days? Um, no, not really. I think it's. I think it's a good thing that so many people are, are talking about it, championing it. It's what we want. We've we've said for a number of years now that we're we're desperate to play more. We obviously understand the, I guess, the financial limitations potentially, obviously lengthens tours and all of those kind of things, but we're desperate to play more. And I don't know, I guess I feel like no one can help but have been excited and thrilled and go through all the emotions watching that game. I know not all test matches are, we're desperate to play more. And the more that people talk about it, then the better, in my opinion. It's a chicken and egg situation though, isn't it? Women's test cricket can't become financially viable unless you play it, you play, play it more often. And on that note, there's been an announcement that you will play another Test match against South Africa this summer. Yeah, it's absolutely. So that we obviously played against India last summer, this Ashes Test match, and and against South Africa. And I think 
we'll only get better at playing test cricket by playing it. We play no multi-day cricket anywhere and then suddenly there's a test match and we're expected to be, it's still cricket, but it's completely different how the game plays out. In lots of ways, limited overs cricket is quite formulaic and things like that. You don't have that in test match. It's just something completely different. And the only way we're going to get better is by playing more of it. And um, yeah, absolutely delighted. South Africa I'm sure their seamers are pretty excited to be to get the opportunity to run in with the Red Bull as well because they're they're right up there in terms of the best seam attacks in the world yeah I think Shabnam Ismail uh, might be quite a handful um she's uh, she's pretty rapid let's talk about the one dayers um you need to win to win them all to win the ashes I'm not sure that Australia have ever been uh, swept 3-0 in an ODI series so it's a it's a massive ask but I mean after that test match you you've got a chance yeah, absolutely. We've played some some good cricket in the bits of cricket that we've that we've played. Um, we obviously batted, we've bowled um, well throughout this test match, batted brilliantly in the second inning. So we've got people in form. We've got match winners in our team. Massive cliche, and I hate them, but we've got to just try and take care of the first game here in here in Canberra and go from there. Um, obviously, a formidable one day team. Um, we're very aware of that, but if we don't believe that we can do it, then there's in my opinion, not a huge amount of point of showing up. Can I ask you about, about the captain? Uh, I've mentioned Heather Knight already a couple of times, and also Catherine Brunt. Um, I mean, you've got some very, very fine players in this England team, some of the best of all, of all time. But do, do you sort of, are you aware, are the younger players aware that they're in the presence of greatness with, with Heather and, and Brunty? I hope they are. I think they are. I think you only have to watch how those two played in the Test match to to realise that and... They've had a huge amount of accolades and and rightly so. And but it's not just that game; they've done it for a number of years. I don't even know what year this is for Catherine playing for England. It must be kind of seventeen, eighteen, that sort of that sort of number. And to have played for that long as a seamer with all the kind of injuries that she's had, she's just a she's just a warrior, and she's someone you absolutely want um, on your side. And so is so is Heather. You, I'm, I think you'll struggle to meet a more dogged cricketer than than Heather is. And but she's got some unbelievable skill to go with that as well. And and if we're going to win these three games, we're going to need those two, but plenty more of us as well to step up. I think the landmark you were looking for with Catherine was half her life. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it must well be. <laughs> <laughs> um, the women's 100 has been massive, massive for the, for the women's game, um, not just in England, but um, around the world. I mean, you know, after one season, it's an inaugural season. Um, players around the world aspire to to play in the hundred. It's, I mean, it, it's just transformed the women's game, or is set to. Yeah, it was. It was an unbelievable tournament to be a part of. There was obviously a lot of, I guess, grumblings and things like that from lots of people about the hundred. But having been a part of it, it was just an incredible tournament to be a part of. And I think what it's what it did, and what it will hopefully continue to do for women's cricket in this country was was incredible. And I think. Yeah, I guess the double headers came a little bit by chance. I don't think that was the original plan, but because of COVID and everything, it happened and and it was and it was brilliant. Um the like the crowds that we got, the support that we got, the quality of the cricket was just like I say, just incredible. And I think it will just keep growing from from that as a starting point, we'll just keep growing. Almost uh, time to let you go, but um can I ask you about um Catherine Brunt's comments that uh, the test match cricket needs tinkering with. Um, in order to become more attractive, I didn't know whether she was um, she was winding winding us all up there. I mean, she even mentioned about shortening the pitch. I mean, you know, you, the, the women's tennis courts the same size as the men's court. I don't know whether she was being tongue in cheek, but 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 the biggest um, problem it, it surely is that dukes don't make a, a women's ball. I mean, you, you really should be playing with a dukes ball, shouldn't you? I, I think that is something that would would definitely make um, a bit of a difference, particularly. Um, I guess in England, I don't see their handmade balls, so I don't necessarily see a reason why they can't make a women's Dukes ball. I think I'm hoping it's <laughs> we're in contact with them and and um, can maybe get one going in the summer because I just I just don't see a reason why it's why it isn't possible. If I'm if I'm totally honest, I think that will we show how it's seen how much of a difference it makes to for the men in this country. The to be fair, the Cookerbur held up pretty well out there because of the nature of the surface, but obviously as a swing bowler I'd love a, a brand new Dukes. So uh, where to after Canberra? First ODI is in Canberra and uh, just so that people can mark it in their diaries. Um, yeah so first ODI um, is in Canberra on Thursday 
and then we moved to Melbourne for the final two ODIs, which um, I'd love to tell you I know what day they're on. When you get on tour, all days get completely <laughs> jumbled up. All I know is the third, the sixth and the eighth, whatever days those are. And this is really the final question. Paul Collingwood spoke very movingly um, a couple of days ago about the the stresses of, of the bubble in Australia. Um, I mean, you, you I think, went landed three weeks before the first game. You had that sort of managed isolation quarantine period. Um, what's it been like? Uh, seriously, I mean, the cricket has been fabulous and thank you for the entertainment. But, but what's, it, what's it been like um, on the road in Australia in the, in the bubble? It's, it, it's obviously really um, challenging. We had a bit of a challenge, I guess, coming when we first landed here and, and kind of almost found out that certain restrictions had been changed whilst we were in the air. So um, it's, it's um, I guess, a bit limiting. And there's no hiding from the fact that, that it's challenging. And I think it's the kind of cumulative effect now. It's been coming up two years since this started. And I don't know how many days we've done in kind of restricted life, bubble life. But it's also not just here, back, back home. But we had to do the best part of two weeks back home, kind of over Christmas, over New Year, all of that kind of stuff essentially doing nothing really to try and avoid obviously Omicron was pretty prevalent in England to try and avoid getting COVID so we didn't I guess miss the flight to get over here so it's not even just whilst you're on tour there's periods of time before that um, I think there's quite a lot spoken about at the start of this tour about our kind of prep so it almost makes it the more remarkable the the quality of cricket that that we've played but it is challenging there's no there's no getting away from that but We've got a really good group here. We're really well supported. And to a degree, you just kind of, the cricket's quite nice actually, because it's a chance just to go out there and forget <laughs> about everything else. You just go and play some cricket. And that's what we're here to do. Well, Anya, very, very best of luck in the ODIs and uh, hard luck in that test match. But you know what? It was one of the great sporting memories. One of the, one of the great cricket test matches. It really was. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Anya Shrubsall talking to us a little earlier from Canberra. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. A couple of uh, bits of breaking news on the county circuit. Richard Johnson has left Surrey um, to uh, join Middlesex. And your old mate Tim Bresnan has announced his retirement from uh, from all cricket, which was something of a surprise because, um, well, I suppose, uh, I guess if you want to go out when you're still playing really good cricket... Uh, then he's he's done that. But um, it seemed to us when he spoke to us a little earlier uh, during the summer that uh, he was he was well set for another couple of years. Yeah, I think he was. I think that's why he went to Warwickshire in the first place. Um, it's good to see Richard Johnson getting a chance as head coach. Middlesex, good guy, Richard Johnson, good bowling coach. Well-respected bowling coach. So it'll be interesting to see who goes in and, and helps him batting-wise if they've got anybody that's with any credibility to, to sort of help Richard from a first-class cricket point of view, so we'll watch that space on that one. Tim Bresnan, he's had a great career. I feel as though Tim Bresnan's about 55 because he's been playing forever. You know, I made his debut at a ripe old age of 16 and he just kept going and going and going. And when he spoke to us from the, you know, the front seat of his car earlier in the summer after having a, a great victory and a, a decent night out as well, um, I thought Bresi, when he said, I came to Warwickshire to prolong my career and and play more cricket and win things. Well, he certainly won stuff. And I think he was gearing up for the uh, 2022 season. But obviously, the body just told him that enough was enough and he's he's had to pack in. And, yeah, good on Brezzy on his retirement. He's brilliant for England, fantastic for Yorkshire and Warwickshire. And he had a, he had a wonderful career. Right, three topics that we've mentioned pretty much every week for the last uh, six months. IPL, Bubbles and Big Bash. Bubbles, Paul Collingwood, um, ironically enough, speaking from possibly the friendliest bubble that uh, that, we, that you were sort of part of, or at least uh, on the very close to in Barbados. But he had some really strong things to say about the effect that it's had on players over the last two years. Coincided with Mitchell Stark saying that there have been times over the last two years when he um, had had felt like he didn't want to play, which is ironic because. Australia played about a quarter of the amount of cricket that um, that England's players have played, but Collingwood, um, it was he said some really really strong things. Like the players were sitting ducks going um, to the Ashes; they had absolutely no chance whatsoever. They could have been the best team in the world, 
but they had absolutely no chance, no preparation. Some really, really strong stuff. Yeah, and I, I agree with a lot of what Paul said. I think when he said there was a lot of emotion that there was probably a lot of anger in it as well because he came home from and he seen what the criticism that England were getting when he was back in England over before and just after Christmas. So he could not only feel for the guys that were in the bubble, but he could also see the level of not understanding for people who didn't understand the bubbles from the outside, just quite happily criticising. So there was always going to be an emotional reply from the England cricket team. And I think we'll hear more of that to come. But you know, Paul didn't mince many words and I, I back him up on it because I think when people say, oh, well, it's the same for both sides. It is the same for both sides when they go into, into the series. But there's some teams have had it less than others, i.e. Australia going into the Ashes. They had a, a tenth of the bubble situation that England players have had over the course of the last two years. So as much as it is the same when you do get into the series and it gets started, but what you've you know what you've got left going into this series, I think that's what Paul was trying to say. England have never been out of a bubble for two years where other teams have dipped in and dipped out and had their chance to, to sort of recharge their batteries. So I fully back 100% up what he says because I think uh, we have been strong on this show about it. Um, and Mitchell Stark, he played the year, uh, won the Ashes, won T20, and the only played, what, nine test matches and all at home over the course of the two years. So if he's saying he's had a bad bubble, can you imagine what the England players are saying? Like, so, yeah, I'm pleased Paul fought back, and you know, time will tell over the course of the next two or three weeks whether you know, the coaching staff will still remain. All right, staying with Australia, let's talk Big Bash. Laurie, uh, Laurie Evans was uh, a big star for the Perth Scorchers, who, of course, uh, won the tournament. They are the uh, the team of, of the Big Bash. But I want to hear from, or let's hear from Laurie Evans after the final, um, and then we'll discuss what uh, he had to say. It's nice to see, um, you know, some affiliation. You've got Alex Howes at Thunder. You've got TC and um, Vinci at um, Sixers. You know, I think teams can be built around franchises and uh, players can be built into franchises like that so um, but you know this this tournament needs to attract the biggest players in the world um, it probably needs to quicken up get shorter get more exciting get some more crowds in again but you know that's not for me to say got any other thoughts on the tournament as a whole you played everywhere as a show oh look yeah it's a great tournament and like you say if you want to attract the biggest players in the world like every tournament wants to um you need to find a way to, to make it a bit shorter because guys obviously can't come for the whole time. So, um, you know, it, it helps people like me who are sort of just flying under the radar a little bit, not playing international cricket. Um, so, you know, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity and, and I'm glad that I've, you know, managed to, you know, take a couple of games here and there. That was Laurie Evans after the uh, the Big Bash final, which uh, the Port Perth Scorchers won. It was um, it, it, pretty harrowing um, to hear him talking about missing his, uh, his son's birthday and, and missing Christmas and, uh, you know, making this commitment to the Big Bash. But the subject that uh, really interested me was when he said that the Big Bash needs to, to trim it itself down. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's dying of consumption. Seven home games, seven away games, 14 games. It's too long. It can't attract the big stars. Um, and it can't attract the crowds that it used to. Crowds are down. It's all about television revenue, you see. And I was reading an article the other day about the fact that Cricket Australia faces this problem. In order to keep the competition vibrant and relevant and not over-bloated as it has become, they need to cut the number of games down. But that means they get less revenue from the television broadcasters. Uh, and, you know, that I think they're going to have to bite the bullet and do it. I mean, they want the best players. Laurie Evans said in that interview, it's too long. You're not going to attract the best players unless you're prepared to have them for, you know, half the tournament. Yeah, I think, again, England, we're in the same boat with, with English cricket for county cricketers coming over. You get good county cricketers coming for short passages at the start of the season for Red Bull stuff. Can't get them all to come over for the, the T20. That's why the 100's more appealing because it's, it's, it's over in a short period of time. And I'm watching the Big Bash from afar. You're sitting watching the TV and you think, it's still on. It's still going. And you're waiting for the final. And you think, final's in three weeks' time. Like, really? <laughs> and uh, you just you just can't understand. Uh, but they'll get it right. They'll get that. Because that tournament's a good tournament. It's a good tournament. And I think 
Laurie Evans is not one of the, the big household international players' names, but it's been good to some of some of our young England players. I can think of Joe Clark um, and one or two others who have done very, very well in it. So from that point of view, it's good for England. The, the young England players getting education and development. I thought Laurie Evans had a fantastic tournament. And it is sometimes you have to put your career first over your family in in a in a short in a short period to get maximum exposure to maybe get a knock on the England door if you go and win it like you did, which was fantastic. So um I think all in all there'll be a, a relook and a revamp of that tournament over the course of the next I would say 12 months. But you've also got to throw COVID in as well. And I think crowds are down largely down because I think the trust in Australia, in the states, in their politicians, as well as going to a big stadium, it's probably a massive contributing factor that the crowds have been down. Not because the cricket's poor, not because it's all you know it's it's a too long of a, a period. When we when we get out of this COVID world, there's, there'll be there'll be quite there'll be quite a few things that we've. I think that we thought, oh, well, that isn't being very good because the crowds are down. Crowds are down for one reason, I think, one reason alone, and that's the trust in big groups being together. All right, finally, on to uh, the IPL, Harmi. I'm not sure whether you put your name forward for the mega auction. I thought about it, but I, I thought maybe I'd just rather spend some more time at home. But um, there were approximately 17,000 professional cricketers around the world who did put their names forward. And the auction list has been trimmed down to a modest 580 or so, including over 200 international players, foreign players. So, so that the mega auction takes place, you know, the, the 10 franchises only were only able to retain three players. So it's, you know, it is an auction that is actually scheduled. It's so big that it's scheduled to last uh, for three days. The, lots of lots and lots of interesting stories. And of course, um, some dreams will be made and others will be broken. One thing that fascinates me, I've got a little list here of England players, most of whom have played for England, if not their, their Lions players. They put their names forward. I have no idea how the list gets trimmed down to the 580 or so. But how about this? Joe Clark, you just mentioned, Will Jacks, Will Smead, Tom Banton, Harry Brook, Phil Salt, Tom Abel, Tom Lamanby, Jordan Cox. They're some of the players who said, yes, please, um, we'd like to be um, in the auction. You know, so, yeah, some with more realistic chances than others. But they, they didn't make the shortlist, not that it's particularly short. And I, but some players, including three young players from South Africa, one of whom, I'll be honest, I had to go and look up. They made the, the, the shortlist. The three of them, between them, have played a total of 15 domestic T20 games. They, they made the shortlist. I, I, I guess, is it all about who you know? I think so. You mentioned about putting our names into it. I'm not even sure I'm putting my name into play for Ashton Third Eleven this year. Never mind going anywhere near an IPL auction. I think my stone that I've just done in Barbados is not going to do me any good <laughs> running around a field with a bunch of kids. Never mind going into an IPL auction. But look, you've just mentioned a whole host of names. You've just mentioned three names that have been playing for the Dog and Duck 11, and they're in it. And no coincidence. And one of the reasons why I don't think I'm going to get any work out of India is because I speak honestly. And the names that you've mentioned from a, an English passport point of view, I think I've played quite a bit in the PSL. I also think that India, just being in South Africa, maybe is sending a message that if you're on our side, you've got a bit more of a chance than being on a side that's just over the border. So, well, I think all in all, it's going to be a fascinating auction. Uh, you can never predict what happens in India. Um, the one thing it will be, it'll be longer because there's two more teams in it. It will be, it'll be a fantastic tournament and it'll be fascinating to see who actually does get picked up. There's one name I'm really looking forward to seeing if he gets picked up and that's Jofra Archer because Jofra can't play, he'll not play this year, but will somebody want to make sure they've got him for the next two years or the next year and the year after or a year after that or whatever the cycle of auction is. So it's going to be interesting to see if Jofra gets gets picked out. When you're talking about South African players' manners, and eyebrow, eyebrows raised, and I, 
I've seen it on the field a couple of times, a few times, my old mate Anthony McGrath, the Essex coach. But I didn't realise until I'd just finished and that Simon Harmon's thrown his hat in the ring to play for us, play for South Africa again. What do you make of that one? Actually, I'm glad you asked me about that um, because I would like to say to Essex fans and indeed Yorkshire fans who may be concerned that uh, they will lose Simon Harmer and Dwayne Olafir um, when South Africa tour England, I would be staggered. I would be absolutely gobsmacked, particularly in, in Simon Harmer's case, if he um, accepted a place in the squad to tour because he's, he would only be the second spinner behind Keshav Maharaj. He's only been selected to go to New Zealand for two test matches, which are being played at Christchurch, so he's got no chance of playing, uh, because a couple of other spinners were, were unavailable through injury. So Simon Harmer is delighted to have, uh, get a trip to New Zealand for two test matches he won't play in. Um, he's going to have to spend 10 days in managed isolation and quarantine uh, before he even gets out. So I'm not sure that he'll uh, think it was that great. But no, I mean... You know what it has done? It's repaired the wounds of Colpac, mm. um, as far as he's concerned. That's what it's done. And, uh, you know, he, he'll be delighted that he, he's been recognised again. I think Duane Olafir also will fulfil his contract as an overseas player with Yorkshire. And, you know, I, I hope it's done quietly and without fuss and behind closed doors because they would be mad um, not to carry on with their county careers, quite honestly. I mentioned Duane Olafir in Yorkshire. Did you see that um, that uh, we discussed uh, Yorkshire's Goffey's uh, deal with the Lahore calendars um, to to share resources and um, and playing facilities and give opportunities uh, to discover talent? They've got a, a third member of um, the triumvirate uh, now. They've um, they've joined forces with Northern's Titans, the uh, Centurion-based South African um, provincial team. So um, that's covering three continents. Goffey is spreading the Yorkshire word. He is spreading the Yorkshire word, doing it very, very well, in in my opinion. Um, not just because he's my mate from TalkSport, but I think he's he's trying to repair yeah, the brand of Yorkshire and in hope that if he can bring players in from other other countries, i.e. overseas players, yeah, they've got a better chance if there's a connection with them. So... I think that looks as though Yorkshire are going to Pretoria for pre-season um, to play against the Titans. Um, what a group it is, because they're a f- fantastic franchise, as, as, as you know, a very, very strong pool of players, the Titans. So, again, I think it's another another good move by by Darren in the, the infancy of his Yorkshire tenure as, as director of cricket. And we wish him all the very, very best. Um, we're, we're, we need to refresh our own resources. We've, uh, we've lost coffee and bats now we're from the uh, TalkSport cricket team. Yeah, we just need a, we need a batting coach, don't we, really? Yeah, we've got the fast bowling covered. We've got the spin covered. We just need a batting coach now to come in and, <laughs> and hopefully get himself, get himself into shop window and then we'll lose them this time next year when somebody gets sacked. So, yeah, for all you batting coaches out there, this is the this is the way to get a county job. Come and work for Dublin Sport. <laughs> Thanks, Tommy. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective once again on Talk Sport Two with me, Neil Mantle, and uh, the great Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, which is now available as always via the free Talk Sport app or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week for more on the biggest stories of the week. This has been, once again, the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.